0: Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 17. For the scripture says, "'Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. "'For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. "'For the same Lord is Lord of all, "'bestowing his riches on all who call on him. "'For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord "'will be saved.'" of Christ. Grass withers, flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. We've been working the past several weeks, this is week four, of, of a different of a series called the Missio Day. His purpose and plan and our place in it. Missio Dei, the mission of God. That's Latin essentially for mission of God. And thinking through what has God been up to? What is His purpose and His plan? And then now further, hopefully this week, getting into a little bit more of the detail of then what is our place within what God is doing? We've covered a creation of everything in the beginning ex a, a nihilo out of nothing God makes everything the creation of Adam and Eve and the command for them to be fruitful and multiply and what we've said is that all along, God is selecting a and securing for Himself a particular people, and that He is that His goal is to secure for Himself a people who will glorify Him and enjoy Him, and then multiply that glory and that enjoyment of Him throughout. The world—that's the plan that God has been working on. We've seen it go down to then uh, down through Noah. Then they, after Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, King David—all this, all this lineage coming down of of blessing to the nations. This this blessing that's going to be coming down. God is securing for Himself a people who will glorify Him and. Enjoy Him. And then we are to go then and be joy and glory multipliers. They don't just keep it to themselves. Well, I'm glad that now I have something to rejoice in. I hope that my life now I'm going to glorify God in, in my house, and my little corner and keep it to myself. They're, they're to go and to reproduce that. We are to be joy and glory multipliers. Now, we've been talking about God's big mission Because I've been asking this question of us, what is the mission here at First Christian Church? What is God doing at Mount Air First Christian Church in 2019? Asking the uncomfortable question maybe, do you think God is done working here? has everything that God is going to accomplish at Mount Air First Christian Church already been accomplished, and now here we all are just kind of writing this thing out until we either go home to glory or Jesus returns, and that's that's just the way it is. Is that what we think? I hope not. That's not what I think. I think God is still at work, but the only way to understand then what God's mission for us could be here in 2019 in Mad Air at this church is to connect it to what has God been doing all along? What has God always been up to? I don't want us to all sit around in a little think tank and brainstorm what, what, what new, creative, exciting thing can we figure out to do at this church and then hopefully get enough people to rally around that and then, and then fizzle out in six months. The, the, the hope is to ground ourselves in something far larger than just what we can think up, but to ground ourselves upon the reality of what is the Missio Dei? What has God always been doing? And how does, what does that look like for us then, specifically here in 2019? We said that the centerpiece, this God is securing for himself a people who will glorify him and enjoy him. And last week we said the centerpiece of that is the reality of Christ. Christ is the centerpiece of God's mission. He is the exaltation of the glory of God and the, and the opening of the door for our joy in God through our reconciliation through Christ. God has been securing for a people for himself who will glorify him and enjoy him and he will do this through the mediatorial through the mediation through that work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, if that's the centerpiece, God's mission secure for himself a people, he's going to do it through Christ on the cross. If that's been the mission, we might say, okay, well then now what? <laughs> because that's been done, right? Christ has gone to the cross. If God's plan was to secure for himself a people who will glorify him and enjoy him, and he's going to do that through Christ and his work, now what? Because Christ has gone to the cross. Christ, that was 2,000 years ago now almost. Christ has done that work. That reality has been cemented. Now what? Well, now is the time for those joy and glory, those people who are glorifying God and enjoying him, to multiply. Now is the time for that multiplication, for, that, for those who are secured to God to then go out and spread and fill the earth with His glory and with the enjoyment of Him. The text we start off with in Romans tells us how people are going to then come to faith in Christ. There's going to be this multiplication. And how is that going to happen? The people are going to be brought in or secured into the people of God. They're going to come to faith in Christ. And there's a certain way in which they're going to do that. Now, the context of Romans 10, it's, it starts way back in Romans 9. It's, it's talking specifically about Israel. Fascinating passage. I, I, I submit it to you to go home and read it. It's a really interesting passage to, to read through. But the argument, the principle of the argument, stays the same that God is, we're jumping into the middle, but the principle holds true. Paul makes the statement in chapter 10, verse 11: everyone who believes in him, that is speaking of Jesus, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, and that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is great news. This is good news. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who looks to him, believes in him, will not be put to shame. That's good news. To not be put to shame, to not be put to disappointment, to be reconciled to God, to be saved in in the biblical sense of the term, to not go to judgment and to eternal damnation in hell, but to be saved. That's the biblical language. I'll just use the biblical language. To be saved out of that, to save, to reconciliation to God, that's good news. That is very good news. But the question is, given to us by Paul, how can they believe And how can they look to Him if they don't hear about Him? How can they look, how can they believe if they do not hear about Him? Verse 14 in Romans chapter 10, we just read, How then will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him, Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, someone forth telling How are they going to hear? God has good news. It's going to be told. And through that people telling others, people will be brought to faith in Christ and added to the family of God. God is spreading. He's multiplying. He's securing for himself a people who will glorify him, enjoy him. And the way he's going to do that is by people telling other people this good news. How will that spread unless someone tells them this good news of a God whose centerpiece is Christ and his work, that we might glorify him and enjoy him, that God's purpose is going forward. But one more question. I'm not piling them on. Who do you think is going to do the telling? Who do you think is going to do the telling? And you're sitting there and you're saying, well, Darren... (laughs) <laughs> it's you, you're sitting here saying you're the one telling, you're standing at the front, who's the one doing the telling, what are you talking about, it's, it's you, right, who do you think is going to tell the message, but my big idea is, is going to contradict that this morning, the big idea I've got up on our boards is that what God is doing for his people, what God is doing for his people, he is doing through all of his people, What God is doing for his people, what he's doing for those he's gathering and securing them to himself, what God is doing for them, he's doing through all of them. Every person in the church is a part of this mission it's often thought of it, that that somehow this gets relegated to certain professionals or certain people who are, are, are well-trained or have some sort of special gifting or whatever it may be to then, uh, that, that that's how God is going to move. But God's purpose, what God is doing for us, He's doing through all of us. Through all of us. That's why community is so important in a church That's why intergenerational relationships are so important because it isn't just a certain segment of us getting along. It is all of us for all of us. What God is doing for us, he's doing through through all of us, okay? Okay. God has planned to do this through the people that he has secured for himself. God's plan is for all of his people to be mobilized in their joy in him and their desire for him to be glorified. His plan is that everyone who is his would be a part of that multiplying reality. If you're part of the family of God that's been secured to him, you're part of the plan in that and that purpose multiplying, that joy in him multiplying. Now you don't believe me, but let's look at, let's look at the, let's look at a biblical picture that shows this. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, the right at the beginning of, of the chapter. This is on page 1088 of your Pew Bible. Acts chapter 8. This is right after the martyrdom of Stephen. That's Acts chapter 7. If you Can memorize, okay, how's the book of Acts laid out? Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Saul, uh, who later becomes Paul, who writes uh, over two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. Paul, who is named Saul at this point, is there for the martyrdom of Stephen. That's what's mentioned here at the very beginning of, of Acts chapter 8. Uh, we see this martyrdom, and so what happens, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul approves of his execution, speaking of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Acts chapter 8 verse 4. I want you, God in his providential wisdom uses this martyrdom, martyrdom of Stephen, the killing, the murder of Stephen... For his faith, martyrdom of Stephen, to scatter his people. They, they, they flee, they, they get out of Jerusalem. They're supposed to all along. We know in Acts chapter 1, they're supposed to spread from Judea, Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. He uses the martyrdom of Stephen and his providence to spread these people out. And so they 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 for he forces the world out into multiplication. But I want you to notice, and we read over it kind of quickly, who this multiplication is coming through. Okay, Acts chapter 1, at uh, 8, verse 1, halfway at the end of the verse, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Now, these are the men who walked with Jesus. These are the men who would, if you're going to tell, if, like, if you want somebody to meet Jesus, what would you do? Come, uh, come talk to the apostle. Come talk to the teacher. Let's go to this. He's having a meeting. Let's go and hear about from, from the, this learned, this, this really important person that gets up front and, and, and says all this stuff. Let's, let's go to the apostle, and he is going to be the one who's going to teach you. Let's go to the pastor. The pastor is the one who's going to tell you about Jesus. That's exactly the opposite of what happens, isn't it? See, who's scattered? Who's scattered? Not the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. They scatter. The the lay people, the church, regular Christians, which we all are, but regular, they are, they scatter throughout Judea and Samaria. And verse four, now those who were scattered, they went about preaching the word. That is how the gospel message is multiplied. It's not in the upper elites of, if you can have, that there is such a class. I don't think there is one. But in our minds, we, we build levels. We shouldn't. These, these elites are the ones that bring people to Christ. When really the reality the Bible puts forward is that God, as he's on his mission, to secure for himself a people who will glorify him, and enjoy him. He does it through all of his people. He does it through his people. He doesn't do it through a select class of people that he elevates as these are the ones who who really do the work. He does it through all of his people. That is how God moves forward in his mission. We tend to think that the job of sharing news about Christ or telling someone the gospel is is, is left up to someone that's super spiritual or, or something like that. But this passage goes directly in the opposite of that thinking. They're scattered. And what we learn from this is that the the multiplication that is to be happening of God's mission is not done only by some sort of professional, but by every member of the family. What God is doing for his people and spreading his glory and, and the enjoyment of him throughout the world, he is doing through all of his people. Each one of us that is in that family, if you are reconciled, to God, through faith in Jesus Christ, turning from your sin, hating your sin, running to Christ. You've been reconciled. You're a part of this family. You're part of this multiplication process. You're part of this multiplication process. What God is doing for his people, he is doing through all of his people. One last passage, flip back to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's page 1204 in your pew Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses just 9 and 10. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy But now you have received mercy. There's a big reality right up front in this passage. There's a big reality. It's the reality that when you are saved by Christ, when you're saved through Christ, through faith in his work, when the gospel hits your ears and you look to Christ, you believe. When you are saved by Christ, you become a part of the family of God. You become a part, a member, a citizen of the household of God. And I want to emphasize this for just a second because we, we are such a super individualized culture. Everything is, is, is self-identity. It's, it's who I am. It's, it's, if everything is centered around the individual. What's most important is the individual uh, perspective, individual rights. It's self. Self is the center of so many things. And often what happens then is we come into church and we emphasize the, the, the self-centeredness of the gospel message, that Christ came to die, died to save you. That it's a very, it's you. And, that, and so that what we begin to believe is somehow that Christian, which is true, but we believe that's the end of the message. That Christ has come to save an individual. And so then the individual shows up, comes to church, gets saved, and thinks, I'm glad Jesus did that for me. Now I can go and do what I want to do. And I'm glad Jesus did that for me. And we have a a super individualized understanding of Christianity. The message of the cross is often purely an individualized message, which it is an individualized message. I won't deny that, that Christ has come to save sinners, which are individual people. So Jesus certainly does bring personal deliverance, but it isn't just that. We're not just to come and get our own personal deliverance for sin and then go march out on our own plan and purpose. Christianity is not just personal deliverance from sin, but it is also securing into a people. It's also being brought into a family. It's being secured. The mission of God, we said, is to secure for himself a people. That it isn't just deliverance from personal sin. It is that, but it also is adoption into God's family. And we we lose that in our individualized society. We lose that reality, that part of Christianity, that it is not just personal salvation from your sins, which it is, but it is also coming into the family of God. When God saves you, you are saved into His church it's so why you wonder about those who say they, they love Jesus but, but have no desire to, to get involved in the church. You wonder. You think, well, how, these, these don't go together. Individualized salvation is part of the gospel message, but it's also into the family of God. To, to say we love Jesus but not loving his church, you cannot love Jesus and hate his bride. I mean, even the most... Uh, moderately, the, the most, just a moderately good husband, if you say to him, I like you, but I really can't stand your wife, <laughs> that's not gonna go very good, is it? It shouldn't. I mean, if you came to me and you said, Darren, I think you're a great guy, but that wife of yours, I can't hardly really take her. I'd say, well, you're no friend of mine either <laughs> because she's as much me as I am her. We, we're a package deal, buddy. And that, right, it did not it didn't work that way. Is, that's like saying, I'm, I'm fine with Jesus, but the church I don't really get. You, you don't get to separate the two. You don't get to separate the two. You cannot love Jesus and hate his bride. So Christianity, yes, saves you from your personal sin, but it also brings you into the family of God. You become a part of the family of God. And so as we're gathered into this family, that's, that's 2 Peter Uh, to 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We're brought into this family. We're in this together. We're brought into this family so that what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Are you in part of the family so you can elect certain individuals to say these are our chief representatives? They're the ones that will tell about his excellencies? (laughs) No, everyone is called into this people for his own possession that they, those who are part of this people, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. God, what God is doing for his people, the church, he is doing through all of his people. So then where does that leave us this morning? We covered this earlier in the series, but trying to ask a couple of questions of ourselves is your joy in Jesus increasing God's on a mission to secure for himself people who glorify him and enjoy him is your joy is your enjoyment of God is your enjoyment of Jesus for who he is and what he has done for you is that increasing do you have do you have eyesight do you have a view of God who, who has excellencies <laughs> Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. If you're to speak about God with with a friend, are there excellencies about God that flow from your tongue? You won't believe what this God has done for me. Is your joy in Jesus increasing? If it's God's plan to multiply those who glorify him and enjoy him, that will only be done as those who seek to do so, to glorify him and enjoy him, begin to speak up about him. Do you have a view of God and his excellencies? If not, are you seeking help? I want that to be a heartbeat here. That what I want for you is joy in Christ. What I want for you is joy in Jesus. Not some sort of worldly go find joy, make yourself happy for a moment, but a kind of deep abiding joy that comes from reconciliation with the creator of the universe. I want that to be your deep joy. And if it isn't, I want you to think about why not. I want that to be a concern. If you're not concerned about that, that's even more concerning. Is your joy in Jesus increasing? God is on a mission that is in, that includes our joy in Him. It does include your enjoying Him. It's like I was trying to think of an analogy. It's a, a, if a job, an employer is trying to get some new employees, and uh, and so they're saying to their their the ones they have working for them, why don't you go out and ask your friends if they want to come work for me? Is that employer going to make? Is that employer going to send them out if that employer knows? What I've got to offer you is a terrible work environment, uh, no joy, we don't have any good time, the wages are terrible. Uh, it's, but, but go tell your friends how great it is in here so they'll come and show up. No employer, I mean, it's going to have that. That's, a, that's an insane uh, way of, of, of trying to draw people in. The reality is the employer, it shouldn't have the employer analogy. It's why I didn't write that down. Now I'm going with it so it's too late. God, as we are multiplying, He's not mandating it upon us as though it's something we must do. It's something that happens because God is showing, revealing the joy that really is there. Why he's investing and and committed to and why I want to be committed to your joy in Christ is because as we go and multiply, that happens naturally. As you see the joy that you have in Christ when you go out, you speak of the excellencies, which then multiplies. God, as he sees fit by the Holy Spirit, brings heart to life, draws people in. Is your joy in Christ increasing? But then we also must ask, when did you last pursue someone in an effort to see them come to know Christ in a saving way? Since it is God's plan to multiply those who glorify him and enjoy him, that will only be done through his, all of his people as they seek to glorify Him and enjoy Him when they begin to speak up about Him. We're trying to get to some sort of, what's the mission of First Christian Church in 2019 in Mount Air, Iowa? It's people who enjoy Him and glorify Him and then multiply in that glorifying and enjoying of Him. Do you have an intentional heart to engage people with the gospel? Let's get real practical here. How can you do this? Pray for people pray for people. I just recently uh, found a new uh, don't—a person that I'm praying with more regularly, and one of their constant prayers, and you heard it just from me this morning, is for his unsaved loved ones. Prays for his unsaved loved ones. Every time I've prayed with the guy, he's prayed for his unsaved loved ones. Do you ever pray for your unsaved loved ones? Do you ever pray, God, this person's far from you, and I want to see them embrace you. Do you pray for people Do you pray, if you don't want to pray for them, do you pray for a broken heart that you might care about their lostness, that you might care that they do not know God? Do you pray for people? Do you pray for providential encounters? God, I pray that I'm praying for this person. Find a way. You'll be surprised. I'm always surprised. You pray for somebody and then you end up meeting them at the grocery store. (laughs) You think, well, okay, I I think maybe I should get the hint Maybe I should engage them in conversation or or wherever that may happen. Pray for people, pray for encounters and then pray that God would do the work that only He can do. God, use my simple words, use my inept uh, pursuit of them. God, use my failings to produce what only He can produce. Do you pray? Do you plan? Plan. There's so much power in just taking five minutes to think about, if I get in a conversation with my hairdresser, I don't have a hairdresser, my barber, whatever, my, the person who cuts my hair. If I get in a conversation with a friend while we're at a ball game, do I have an intentional plan with how to steer this conversation in a way that is Godward? And, and take five minutes to think about, how can I direct this conversation in a way that will bring up good points of conversation? Talking about maybe the existence of God. Do you think God is? Do you think there is a God? Do you think God's involved? Do you think God's involved in what's going on? How are you engaging with, with what, if, if the person answers yes, how are you engaged with what God is doing? Having them, inqu- what do you think about God? Like, and, and let them speak. But do you have a plan for engaging those around you? Pray for them. Have a plan. How do you talk to them? And thirdly, trust the immense amount of trust that there is none of us has all the answers and I talk a lot and I'll give you an answer but do I have all the answers good night I hope you know that I don't have all the answers I know that I don't are there conversations you get into and you think I don't know if I know how to answer that of course and that's okay you, that gives you an open opportunity to then further the conversation. The trust is not in you converting an individual or you saving someone. It is opening the door for God to secure. It is God who does the securing, but He does it through all of His people. So what is the mission? Well, it's in- Part of it is this, we're going to to move on into some other things next couple of weeks, furthering this idea of what the mission of God is. But absolutely, I want to get you on board this morning with the idea of whatever God is doing in the world, he is doing it through all of his people. That means... You, if you're here and you believe in Jesus Christ, you're part of the family of God, you trust in Christ, you are part of God's mission moving forward. What he's doing in the world, he's doing through all of his people. And all of it is tied up in your enjoyment of who God is. All of it is tied up in your enjoyment of who God is and what he has done. It is still centered on Christ and his work. If that is not your footing If the the work of Christ is not your grounding, there's no point in going further. This is what we celebrate at communion. The joy found in Jesus. Sinners who don't deserve salvation can come repenting of their transgressions, turning from their sinfulness, looking not to themselves but to Christ and His sacrifice, trusting in it alone for their salvation, turning from sin, embracing Christ, and be Forgiven in the family, one of God's own. That is a joy bringing meal. What we celebrate this morning in communion is a truth to rejoice in. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, help us see the truth of the gospel. Help us, God, turn from our sins. Help us, God, see the foolishness of pursuits away from you. Help us, God, see our deep need of a salvation outside of ourselves. We need an alien righteousness, the righteousness that comes from Christ alone. Work in our hearts in this place this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.